Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the OK Preps Extra Podcast. This is the Monday, September 26th edition. I'm joined by our high school writers, Barry Lewis and Dean Rule. We'll uh, recap a little bit about last week, but we'll talk mostly about the week coming up. Uh, guys, always good to be with you. Uh, let's talk real quick. Your biggest takeaway from last Friday was what? We'll start with Barry Lewis. That um, some of the 3A powers got some major scares um, with uh, Vertigris. Central showed that it could be for real. It's 3-0 start. Mm -hmm. After 3-0 start, they gave Vertigris everything it wanted. Vertigris finally won by three. And then you had number two ranked Lincoln Christian barely escaping from Berry Hill, just winning by seven. Um, and so and then Kasha Hall um, winning by only seven over Hollenthal. A a Hollenthal normally that wouldn't be like a scare. I mean, a surprising, but Holland Hall had entered the game 0-3 and, and having only said nine points all year. So 3A looks like it could be quite interesting this year, even more interesting than we thought it was. Yeah, we already thought it was kind of interesting, right? Now it's just maybe proven more so. Barry, can you elaborate a little bit on uh, the Lincoln Christian burial game? What what happened there? Well, Lincoln Christian has such a great offense, and then Berry Hill just played Berry Hill football. Uh, and just shut down Lincoln's passing game pretty much. And uh, Lincoln grinded out as good teams find a way to win. As we talked about with Jinx earlier this year when their offense wasn't rolling, they found a way to win a low-scoring game. Uh, that was really impressive for Lincoln doing that. But uh, still, after Cushing had torched Barry Hill and Cash Hall had done <laughs> the same earlier, I was thinking, well, Lincoln's going to roll in there and win there for 35-7. to seven. So um, that was surprising. Barry Hill could hang with them so much. So um, while Metro Christian just, um, they just kept rolling. And so it is going to be a wild scramble in 3A. And we've got a lot of local teams involved. That's right. Uh, Dean, let's go to you now. Your biggest takeaway from last week was what? Well, so Barry's right. I mean, 3A looks like it's going to be crazy coming down the stretch. But while Barry's focusing on teams, I'm going to focus on players. Um, I want to take you out. Sand Springs, Muskogee. Jamarian Ficklin looked every bit the part of a star in the making. Six touchdown passes to five different receivers in that win for, for Muskogee, who stays undefeated. You know, Travis... Um, Travis Hill, I'm sorry, I'm getting all the Travises mixed up. Travis Hill got that team rolling, in my opinion. Uh, already eclipsed last year's win total. And Jamarian, I mean, only a sophomore, and he is dominant. Dominant. I'm, I, don't, I don't think enough people talk about what he's starting to do, and I assume the interest and the offers from colleges are only going to start to just pile in for him. What, for those of us, and, and I haven't seen him play, uh, Dean, give us a little breakdown. What's he like to watch? So I think he's got the – so he also – on defense, he plays safety. So he's got the speed. He's got the wheels to kind of be a run threat, kind of a dual threat quarterback that, that he is. But also where I think he excels is in the deep ball. Now, he's only a sophomore, you know, 16, 17 years old. He struggles with accuracy a little bit, in my opinion. But I don't think that's something that – he can't work on and continue to fix because all the intangibles that you'd want in a power five division one quarterback he has, and he's starting to show. 
Barry, any reaction to that? You've seen the kid play, right? I have not seen him play. I've just, I've not seen him play okay. live. I've seen some clips of him. Uh, but yeah, he looks like a very dynamic player. He had his breakout game last year against Sand Springs when he racked up almost 400 yards. They lost that one, but this time they would not be denied. And that was such a roller coaster game where Muskogee races out 27 0, then Sand Springs cuts it to 27 26, missed the two point conversion, and then Muskogee regains control. I mean, what a wild game that was. All right, let's talk about uh, the games this Friday, guys. You, you guys sort of have differing opinions on what the big game is this Friday. So uh, let's kind of have a little playful debate on that real quick. Barry, why don't you go first? What, what's your game of the week? I'm going to go to Rejoice Christians to see Claremore Sequoia and Rejoice. Uh, 2A showdown between teams that just look so incredibly even on paper. It's amazing. They've scored through four games almost the same amount of points, which is like over way over 40, almost 50 points a game. In fact, it is over 50 points a game, way over 50 points a game. And then um, on defense, they're allowed almost the same amount of points defensively, about two, the average of two touchdowns a game. Um, so incredibly even, of course, with Rejoice, you've got such a great quarterback. Chance Wilson, as you've gotten to know, Patrick, with your yep, yep. with that journal series that you're doing with him, that is so, and that is so interesting to, to read. And so, uh, Chance Wilson is so dynamic. But uh, this could be, I'm, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. This is shaping up like it could be their toughest test of the season. Uh, although, in the back of my mind, I do remember Rejoice routed Sequoia last year. But I think this is a different, more mature Sequoia team. Uh, this has all the makings of just a great matchup. So um, I'm going with that as my number one game. Okay. Dean, your biggest game this week. So, yeah, so I'm going uh, Stillwater Booker T. Washington. Now, I like this more for the deeper storylines that are going to be present because you've got these two squads who – Everybody it was it was split 50-50. Stillwater's the favorite in this in this class. Booker T's the favorite in this class. And so you had they both kind of had the same starting point, the two favorites in this class, and they get off to two very different starts. Stillwater, you got undefeated, haven't really been tested until except uh, last week, you know, uh Norman North gave them a run, but US Grant they had this past Friday, uh blew them out 85-0. Whereas Booker T, you know, they started off two bad losses, only scored 12 points combined in those first two games. But they look like they're starting to get their feet back out from under them. And they're starting to kind of put together that offense might be starting, finally be starting to figure itself out. And so I'm very interested to see you've got Stillwater who comes in, no hiccups, no issues. That team is humming. You got Booker T who had a bit of a setback, but now they're getting back there. So, you uh, Two different paths, but I think they're still on the same trajectory. And this is going to be a test for both of them to see who really is the top dog here. I will say, Patrick, that going into the season, I thought for sure I was going to be at this game. I was going to choose this as my game of the week. Uh, as you may remember, I don't know if I should bring this, remind everyone, I did have Booker T as my number one ranked team in the preseason, and I've still got high hopes for them. Uh, so I was really fired up about going to see this game when the preseason started or when the preseason was around. 
And uh, it was also, I thought it was from a nostalgic reason, it would have been cool to go to Booker T this week because it was 49 years ago this week that I saw my first high school football game at Booker T, Washington. So for all those reasons, no I would, yeah, 49 years ago this week. And they won the state champ a wow. state championship that year. So uh, maybe uh, that will occur still occur this year. We'll, I think we'll learn more about it on um, on Friday night uh, to see how they fare against Stillwater because if they come up with the victory, wow, that would uh, that would make quite a statement. So uh, it should that should be a very fun game because I think as Dean was alluding to, I think Booker T is starting to pick it up right now after the slow start. And uh, I think uh, Stillwater could have its hands full, but uh, I couldn't pass up a chance to see Sequoia and Rejoice because I'm really excited by that matchup. What, did that put you in high school, Barry, 49 years ago? <laughs> high school time? I, I, I was at Edison. Um, um, I was uh, going to Edison at that time in the, the middle school uh, of Edison. And so Edison uh, was playing at Washington, Booker T that night. So... <laughs> That would put me back there in <laughs> Booker T won that night. Which, of course, they were beating everybody then. I think this game has a potential. And, well, I, I think it has a potential to be a blowout. Uh, I think Stillwater, I think Stillwater might really put it on them. But I don't, Dean, it sounds like I'm, you would disagree with that. You, you think, you think this could be a real good game. I disagree. I, I think this is a game that you can't go in looking at both of these teams' records right now. I think you have to look at this as 0-0, you know, sure, Booker T's had its its uh, shortcomings, but they also have the all the talent needed to knock out a Stillwater team. Now, it's going to come down to coaching. It's going to come down to execution. The talent is there. They need to do that, whereas Stillwater just needs to come in and keep doing what they've been doing this whole season. Yeah, okay. Barry, what do you think? But Which is more likely to happen, Barry, a blowout or a close tight game in your mind? These days, that's such a tough question with so many matchups because so many matchups you go into it thinking, oh, this could be a really close game. And I'm not talking about just the high school level, but even at the collegiate level as, as well in – you just see more blowouts and evenly matched in games that should be evenly matched these days. Because once one team starts to get it rolling, then it just snowballs. That's what made the Muskogee Sand Springs game last week so fascinating because that looked like, oh, it was going to be a Muskogee blowout. Once they got up 27-0, it's like, oh, they're just going to keep rolling. And Sand Springs managed to make it a game. And same could be said last week about Vertigris and Central. Uh, Vertigris was a total command, and then Central made it interesting. Even to some extent, last week when at the game I was at Union at Owasso, that uh, Union was up twenty-eight to three, and I thought, hey, they're probably going to win forty-two to three at this point. But uh, Owasso made it a little interesting in the fourth quarter. But I, I did. Think, I think definitely I could see. In my game, too, with Rejoice and in Sequoia, I could see it being close, but I could also see, hey, if Rejoice gets up 21-0, they could just blow them out. And uh, I could see if Stillwater gets off to a big start against Booker T that they're just going to blow out the Hornets. So I, I know it sounds wishy-washy, 
but that's just the state of high school football these days or college football even. Yeah. All right, guys, let's switch gears a little bit to basketball. Um, it seems as if the OSSAA is going to approve uh, the use of a shot clock. We don't know that for sure, but it seems like that's going to happen. Uh, and if it does happen, we don't know when it will be implemented. Um, are they meeting today, Barry, just real quick? Are they meeting today about that or is it this week? Uh, I'm not sure when they're exactly meeting about it. They took a survey, which okay. coaches have apparently overwhelmingly approved the shot clock. I don't think anything could be ratified until at, least at the earliest, like their early um, next regularly scheduled meeting. Which is, um, which would be an early next month, or okay, maybe that's next week even. Um, but in in that would that wouldn't be for this season, I don't think. It would probably be for the following season. It would be too soon to implement everything because there's so much involved yeah. with this. Say everyone's on board, you approve it, get all that done. That um, you've got to train shot clock operators. You got to buy shot clocks. So a whole lot of work left to do. Um, so you just can't like pop it in overnight. So right. Well, Barry, you and I talked about this in January. Um, let's say it, it it they do implement it for next season or the, or the season after. You said um, good idea, bad idea. I guess everyone wants it, and everyone wants to play by the college rules. Since everyone's going to play in the college rules, I guess uh, I will grudgingly say I guess I'm fine with it I just uh in most of the games that I've been to it just never really comes into play because unlike in the old days when I was growing up <laughs> in going to college where teams were defenses weren't quite as good or colleges were more disciplined and better at controlling the ball you go to a college game and defenses couldn't take it away. I mean, colleges wanted to hold the ball for four or five minutes. It was hard to get the ball from them, uh, at least without fouling all the time. Whereas I don't see that as a problem. Most of the games I cover that teams have a hard time, even when they want to, if the defense wants to come out and attack, teams have a hard time holding the ball for more than 30 or 40 seconds. It just rarely comes in to play in games I've seen. Yeah, once or twice a year it comes into play and then you get the howls that we all, oh, we got to have a shot clock. But it's just teams, I just don't really see it, a need for it that much. However, if everyone else wants it because colleges are using it, uh, yeah, that's fine. Dean, same question to you. Good idea, bad idea. You know, I mean, we were, we were touching on this before we uh, started recording. We were just chatting uh i'm still trying to figure it all out you know what, what the the goal here is um and i think i guess barry's i would assume barry probably has it correct and just they want to play more like it's a co collegiate atmosphere you know and whether that be i see some pros in that you know maybe for your kids who are talented enough to go on to the next level it i guess helps them prepare a little bit but Barry said something interesting that I, I never thought about was, uh, you know, how often does is this actually an issue? Is this just a couple of games a year run into this where teams are able to hold the ball for four or five minutes? Or is this an every game issue? Um, 
And so to me, the, the way I see it is if it's not an issue, then it shouldn't matter if it's there. And it's only there for when it does become an issue. If, if you're playing, if you're holding the ball for less than 24 seconds every time, then it's no issue whether that clock is running or not. But for the teams that maybe hold that ball longer than 24 seconds, or would it be, it'd be a 24 or a 30 second, Barry? I'm going to guess I did want to match the college rules. So okay. that's what, um, so I would say that I would say the only time I really see it coming to play much at all is like if I'm seeing a Regent prep game, <laughs> one, of the, one of the better small schools around here, that's def, a definite strategy for them. They're a typical game for them could be, especially when they're playing uh, team, good teams in higher classifications, uh, 34 to 30, something like that. But I find those because it's such a change of pace from your typical game that I'm watching. I find that to be very interesting and intriguing to see this different strategy and um, how you can compete with teams that are got more athletes than you do uh, in uh, keep it close and compete with them and, and sometimes beat them. So region prep is a team that is about the only team around here that I see that really does that a lot. So I just find it interesting when I see such a change of pace like that. You know, that's kind of like, Barry, do you think uh, this completely overhauls a ton of team strategy if this passes? Or do you think it's not going to affect teams that much? Except for a region prep or maybe some other uh, smaller class teams, uh, lower classification teams. I don't really think it affects many teams at all because I think just about every team above 3A or 2A, they're they're firing it up all the time, shooting all the time. Uh, I because I have envisioned because this has been debated for a long time. It's been the shot clock has been debated ever since I started covering high school basketball as a reporter back in the '80s. So this is nothing new. Um, but I've I've always envisioned it's like okay, say if we had a shot clock, it's like it's never it's never going to come to play because teams are always firing it up or losing the ball before thirty seconds are up. All right. Again, we don't we don't know when it'll happen or if it'll happen or but it it should it should could could be interesting to you know check out some games with how that'll all shake out. All right, let's change gears even further a little bit, guys. Let's talk a little major league baseball. Dean, uh I Barry and I have been working together a long time, and not only is he a high school sports aficionado, also in major league baseball, well, minor league too, baseball in general. Are you are you much of a baseball guy? Big baseball guy. I'm from St. Louis, so I uh, root for the Cardinals. Uh, whether that's good or bad, for, I know Barry's a Cardinal fan. I don't know about you, Patrick. You know, I'm not really a huge team fan of much of anybody, really. Uh, but I, I'm a huge Albert Pujols fan because I think in, in an era of what we know about, I think he's done it the right way. And I love seeing guys who – reach these incredible milestones and seemingly do it the right way. Um, and just, and baseball, it's just cool in baseball to see people get like these magical numbers, whatever it might be. And like, and 700 is just such a, you know, um, I just, I've been pulling for, pull holes for weeks, hope, hoping he'd get there. So it's kind of a long-winded answer to your question, but um, well, let's talk about the rule changes. So good to know, Dean. Good, good to know that. Uh, we'll start with Barry. Uh, the rule changes, Barry: bigger bases, 
uh, pitchers on a clock, speaking of shot clocks, and um, elimination of the shift. What are your What are your thoughts on these changes? I I liked what I saw for the most part in the minor leagues this year, and because um, definitely the pace of play the pace of play picked up, and that is needed so much. Uh, the pace of play improved by about 25 minutes per game this year, whereas drillers games are averaging a bloated three hours previously it had grown to. Now they were pretty much in the 235 to 240 range this year, and that pretty well is similar throughout all of minor league baseball. And you're not losing anything. You're just getting rid of all this dead time. I mean, it, well, let me, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Pace of play is beautiful. This year. Okay, let me jump in, Barry. Let me play devil's advocate because a lot of baseball purists will tell you that's the great thing about baseball is that it's, it's not on a clock, that it is its own thing. But here you are saying, and I would consider you a baseball purist in many ways, um, you're arguing the opposite. I, I found that interesting, you're arguing that side of it. I am a purist, and I really hadn't wanted to see them go to the pitch clock, but things have just had just gotten out of hand when just normal 2-1 games are taking three hours. That's just – it was getting out of control. When you see nine-inning games, especially in the majors, that are 4-3, 5-4, it's not like a 13-12, and those are taking over four hours. It's just – there is just – it's just too much. I mean, it, it's becoming a turnoff on TV even – uh, in this, and I'm not, I don't want to race through games. And there was a time this year, actually, with the drillers games where I thought, hey, these are going a little too fast, <laughs> but uh, mm -hmm. but I'd rather have them go too fast than just drag and go too slowly. And so I think the pace of play is wonderful. Um, as far as the other rules, the base, uh, the base is being enlarged. Uh, I guess that's okay. I liked what the drillers called them, uh, when they first. Um, instituted them this year. They called them big pizza boxes. Um, but it, everyone got used to them and it did, I don't even think about it anymore um, that they're larger. As far as, I also like on pace of play, limiting pitchers throws over to first base. Um, that was a, that's a big help. In uh, an increased stolen base attempts in the minor leagues this year, I'm all for creating more action in the game. So that's good. Yep, with you. And as far as shifts, that's the one I was sort of a holdout on. I guess I was for them more in the minor leagues than in the major leagues. Uh, because I think my deal is for hitters, it's like, okay, if they're shifting you, beat the shift. Go the other way with it. But, I mean, do something. Right. And so it drove me crazy when guys would just keep on hitting into the shift and not adjusting because baseball is a game of adjustment. Sports, for the most part, they're games of adjustment. And so if hitters weren't adjusting, it's like I, my feeling was too bad. Uh, but uh, so I'm sort of not totally on board with the shift rules in the majors. I'm for them in the minors. Um, another rules change which i don't think has was among those adopted that'll be interesting to see what they do with is whether we continue with the ghost runners in extra innings in major league regular season games um i'm a i didn't think i would like it in the minors but i've grown to like it in the minor leagues uh but in the major leagues i'm not a fan of the ghost runner concept 
So we'll see how that goes. And there's still some people who want to see seven inning double head games for double headers in the majors. I hope they don't go that route. I hope they don't go back to that route. The only way I would like I could be okay with seven inning double headers if it's a single price admission. If you're gonna, but most double headers you see these days are day nighters. If it's a day nighter, I mean, as a fan, you're paying for you need to be paying for not if you're paying for nine innings and tickets are expensive. You need to see nine innings. So if they want to go the seven inning route, it needs to be single price admission, which I don't think you will see. Good point. Good point, Barry. Hadn't, hadn't thought of it that way. Okay, Dean, Mr. Baseball, Mr. St. Louis baseball fan, which I, I didn't know. Uh, good, good to know. Your, your thoughts. Oh, I'm, I'm for it all. You know, I think uh, I think baseball purists, sometimes it, it just gets to be too much. I understand, hey, you know, we like the three-hour games. But I'll tell you this, Patrick, because as you guys were talking, this reminded me of something. I remember uh, this past June when Oklahoma State played Missouri State. And oh, that game wow. ended 29 to 15, and it went on for almost six oh. hours. They then had to play – that night, about two hours later, so it was about 13 hours at that baseball field hmm. when it was all said and done. I'm sorry, you can't tell me people loved that. That was <laughs> That's just not a good product. You know, let's speed up the game a little bit. Nobody's saying cut it down two hours, you know, make these games wrap up in an hour and 45 minutes. But I think there needs to be a rhythm and some momentum that gets that gets the thing going. And, uh, and so I, I'm for all the rules. You know, I, I agree with what Barry was saying about um the shift you know I, I never hated it and I think it is very much if you don't like it adjust to it so I agree with what Barry was saying there but for, for the other stuff yeah it's needed let's just pick it up a little bit yeah I'm I'm totally with the the, the pitch clock I, I agree with what both you guys said let's and, and Barry you put it much more eloquently than I would have as far as the, the pace and and all that. that that was a very good point but I also agree with you guys about the about the shift. I mean, you're telling me if if I'm a left-hander and third base is completely wide open, I can't. I'm a major league hitter. I can't. You. I can't hit it. You know, or I should have the skills to be able to to poke it over there. I mean, I just the shift goes goes all over me. All right, guys. Unless there's unless there's something else on your mind, let's let's leave it there. Anything else pressing you want to delve into? I just think my overall thoughts on the games this week, um, people, I mean, Dean and I will be going to some very interesting games as we talked about. Um, some people may look at the schedule and think there's no blockbuster matchups and maybe there's there's none of those really hugely marquee names for the tradition uh, that include the traditional teams like a Union versus Jenks or Jenks versus Broken Arrow that we'll see, or a game we'll see later on. But there are a lot of, really good games very competitive games on the schedule this week so go out and see a high school football game this is a good week to do it in the Tulsa area all right well uh, go ahead Dean sorry go ahead well, I was just saying I agree with Barry I think there's some really good matchups I almost I, I thought uh come Saturday I thought Barry was going to be taking Stillwater Booker T I was almost going to petition to see if I could go down to Mustang to watch Owasso versus Mustang because to me, I think that's going to be a really good game. That's one I'm going to try to follow as best I can on Friday night because those are two really good teams. 
Yeah, they played a great game last year that uh, Mustang won, and then that set off the chain of events that that wound up with Owasso playing Broken Arrow in the quarterfinals. And so that was a game that sort of derailed Owasso's season. So you know they're going to be fired up this week going to Mustang in the Battle of the Blankenships. Another Battle of the Blankenships. Yeah. All right, we'll be coming at you every Monday, Barry, Dean, and I. And last week, Dean, you sort of debuted a, 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 a bonus podcast with your interview with Austin Havens. Uh, that was great. We encourage you to go check that one out. It's 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 on the website. And you're going to try to do this weekly, maybe every other week. We'll see how that goes, correct? And uh, you're going to try to have one this week. So uh, we don't want to say who, just in case it falls through. But uh, go check out Austin Havens. It was a really good interview. He was a, re- he was a very – he was a mature kid, Dean. I was really impressed just, just listening to him talk. It was a really good interview. And uh, we look forward to those in the future. You can download us for free on Apple, Google, and Spotify. We appreciate you checking us out, and we'll see you next week.